Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Many of us are frustrated in our walk with God. We're, we have not cultivated the virtues that we thought we might by this time in our life. We don't have as vibrant a relationship as we expected. Um, and unfortunately, what happens then is uh, as people's aspirations dim, they tend to shy away from the very things that could inspire them again. So they tend to shrug off prayer or reading scripture and oftentimes even attending mass. Let me take a verse from the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, which I think is an incredibly important passage. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's part of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And um, what I love about it is at first glance, it looks like just basic common sense. So he's writing, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, or actually increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me read it again. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? To live a life worthy of the Lord. But the reason for that is because the Lord is indwelling us. That's why we can do it. Uh, it's because of God's grace. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, this is that little phrase, increasing in the knowledge of God, is the dynamic. This is where the volume gets turned up. This is where it's not the same old thing. This is where you can strengthen that link between belief and behavior, right? What we what we believe and how we behave. You want us to be. You want to behave in accord with what you believe. That's part of what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. So Saint Paul expects you uh, not only to know God here, but he's talking about growing, increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, he's talking about religious experience. He's talking about spiritual experience. Something that in your own life you can identify, you can say, I am or am not increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, I want to stress that this is a knowledge by acquaintance. Uh, this is not just, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an academic study of theology. This is actually acquaintance uh, of God. I mean, we all know what it's like to read a magazine article profiling a person, right? And how different that is from actually meeting the person and getting to know him yourself. Uh, knowledge by acquaintance is what St. Paul's talking here. We need to increase our acquaintance of God. And what can we do to increase uh, our knowledge of God? Well, study Scripture, pray, fast, serve others— but here's the obvious question. With all those things, are you increasing in the knowledge of God, or are you simply kind of staying stable? You're living off past encounters. Uh, not really. You're not maximizing your experience anymore. You're, you're kind of satisfied with a high school diploma when uh, Christ is offering you a PhD. So when we speak of increasing our knowledge of God, 
as I said, you can read all the books you want about God, uh, and you'll have lots of information. But it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily become acquainted with him. And I'm a big proponent of reading uh, theology and reading scripture and reading the catechism. But I also know that we need to know God by acquaintance. And that's what lies at the heart of all true religion. If, in fact, we don't have that kind of knowledge of God, then we end up with uh, false hopes. Uh, we, we end up with religious errors, heresies, uh, doctrinal deviation. We, uh, if we are unacquainted personally with God, we get superficial, we can get arrogant, uh, we can get worldly. Uh, and this has been a problem. This is a problem for any Christian community, okay? This is not just Catholics. Every Christian community, the history of Protestantism is itself always it's a history of renewals and revivals and f- splitting apart because of renewals and revivals and you know so this is constant uh people want to know god and john paul ii made it very clear that the catholic church uh, at the time he was writing was full of those who have been sacramentalized but not evangelized uh he said it is possible for baptized catholics to be still without any explicit personal attachment to Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it's possible to have received the sacrament of regeneration, baptism, and have no personal attachment to Christ. And he went on to say entire groups of the baptized have lost a living sense of the faith or even no longer consider themselves members of the church and live a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. This is what happens if you're not increasing in your knowledge of God. Again, St. Paul, you may live a life worthy of the Lord, or you may end up living a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. Um, we We can't live off, you know, the acquaintance of God we've had in the past. He's calling us forward into a deeper, more intimate relationship. Now, what's, why, this is obvious, isn't it? Uh, so what gets in the way? Well, this is where we have the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Uh, it, rather than the church transforming the world through the gospel, the world conforms the church to its own set of values. You know, In our efforts to be open to the world so we can communicate better, sometimes we allow ourselves to be seduced by the world. Uh, and in the New Testament, very clearly, the church is a distinct community. It's a visible society. And it is in conflict with what is broadly called the world. There are two different populations, two different residences, two different ways of life, two different worldviews, and they're antithetical to one another. This is why St. Paul, uh, in one of his classic passages on uh, the spiritual life, writes in Romans 12, uh, verse 1, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you can look this over in lots of different translations. Uh, Here's another one. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Uh, Conform no longer to the pattern of this present world. Uh, Don't be like the people of this world is another one. No matter what translation or paraphrase you read, the message is clear. Christ sets your agenda. Don't let the world's agenda dictate yours. And John, St. John says the same thing in his first letter. He writes, 
do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. In other words, you're not the person who loves the world is no longer increasing in the knowledge of God. They're no longer living a life worthy of the Lord. They're living a life apart from the Lord. So the idea of world in the New Testament, it's used in a few different ways. It, the world can be the object of God's love, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So it can be the world that God created. But most commonly, world refers to every created thing that stands in opposition to the will of God. It's the complex interlocking series of political, economic, uh, cultural, and religious institutions and influences that stands in opposition to God. First uh, John uh, 5.19, the world is Satan's domain, and the God of this world, according to St. Paul, is Satan. Um, that's a human society uh, organized under the power of evil, and it's competing all the time for our hearts and for our minds. So you have the person who's increasing in the knowledge of God and living a life worthy of the Lord, and you have, in contrast, the worldly person. And that's someone who's finding his identity uh, and his satisfactions within the world system that's been you know, created by society. Uh, and it really is erected for the pursuit of money, sex, and power. Those are the three big ones. So, so John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. And then he goes in, gives three different categories here. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, category one, the lust of the eyes, category two, and the pride of life, category three, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So let's take a quick look at this. Lust of the flesh. Uh, what is that? Well, the word lust it means kind of over-desire. Uh, lust of the flesh is an over-desire for the body. Uh, the, the word for flesh, uh, sarks in the New Testament. It, refers, it can refer to our finite bodily life, but again, it most commonly refers to what might be called the sin nature, or what we would call concupiscence. That would be lust for the flesh. It's not, it's not merely a reference to sexual lust. Uh, lust for the flesh can mean an over-desire for the body. It means organizing one's life for bodily comfort, for bodily satisfaction, carnality, security, safety. Not just sex, but physical comfort of all sorts. I mean, this is the aim of the advertising world, right? To create a fantasy world that is organized for your pleasure. So that's lust of the flesh, uh, over-desire for the care of the body. What is lust of the eyes? Well, this is over-desire for a good image. It's to be seen as superior, to have an outward appearance that people admire, a prestigious reputation. Uh, it's a way of managing people's impressions of us. That's the lust of the eyes. How am I coming across? How do, how, how do I look? And then there's the pride of life. Well, the pride of life here is I am the center of the show. 
That's basically what pride of life means. That all the happenings of the world are mine to observe and change and control and, uh, you know, order the world around my desires. That's the elaborate machinery that we are up against. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. There's no escaping growth in our knowledge of God if we want to become that all God created us to be. But we have to identify those enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and identify how they're actually obscuring our vision. But remember this. Jesus has overcome the world. He's defeated Satan. And he took on human flesh so that we might win our battle against sinful flesh. 